Hello and welcome to the Pause It For Me podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Andrew, and here is my other lovely host, Hannah. Hello. <laughs> and we're here to talk about movies. That's right. And we have a theme song. We do. Yep. And, well, we were discussing adding a theme song, and I was like, it sounds kind of like we're about to solve a murder mystery, which I'm not mad at. But <laughs> well, maybe that'll be our second podcast. I mean, maybe. But anyway, so the it took us a while to decide on a theme song originally. Like, we didn't want to go with something that was too, too royalty-free because, you know, there's something just a little bit empty in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really have much musical talent, so we couldn't come up with something <laughs> ourselves. But uh, eventually I was reminded that the record label Game Chops, which is something that I listen to a ton on just on a regular day, but a lot while I'm working, a lot of their music, everything on Spotify is Creative Commons allowed. Um, and the, the record label, uh, the head of the record label put out a video the other day kind of reminding me of that. So we looked through some of their catalog and tried to find music that came from a game that was like meaningful to us. So I was looking at like Earthbound or Mother 3. And then I realized they did a whole Stardew Valley album. And so that's what this song comes from is Stardew and Chill by the artist Coffee Date. And uh, so that song is called, I believe it's called The Stillness in the Rain. And it's actually one of uh, the character Abigail's themes from the game, which we talked to me and Hannah talked about like what uh, song we wanted to use. But I hadn't explained that part. That's interesting. uh, Before uh, in the game, Andrew is married to the character Abigail. But in my heart, (laughs) I'm married to Hannah always. Obviously. (laughs) So that's you can exciting. Give me an amethyst anytime to snack on. Exactly. So that's a great thing. Um, let's see. Issue number two on our uh, there's an issue on our list of issues. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the main one. Uh, for the second episode in a row, we are outside again. I don't know if anyone can hear it because I think our mics are actually doing a pretty good job of blocking out the well. It's pretty noise, quiet out here, you know. Yeah, we're at a nice quiet cottage if you're a longtime listener to the podcast you'll remember last year we went to a cottage and we did some uh, spooky themed movies in october Mm -hmm. we're here a little earlier this time this year uh so we're not in spooky season yet but but we will be (laughs) yeah but also if you'll remember last year those were the episodes where there was some kind of like radio interference or like yeah some signal bouncing off i think the tin roof of of the cottage that was screwing up our audio last time but uh Thankfully, our audio setup is much improved Hopefully. this time compared to last year. Mm-hmm. So, And again, we're outside to try and avoid that. That being said, I would love to take a hiatus from our history movie watch list and do some spooky season movies. <laughs> well, I mean, today, one of the movies that we watched was War of the Worlds, which is a little spooky. That's but true. We'll get to that. But I, I hear you. It's, it's been... Um, Here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> about, uh, which was the name of our last episode, but here's the thing about oh, yeah. the current thing that we're doing, the list of movies that we missed out on over our, uh, you know, self-inflicted film education for self-inflicted. very much lack of a better term. <laughs> Not all of it was self-inflicted. I got to come up with a better name for that. But the thing about it is before we were doing movies for the podcast that we were excited to watch yes like monster squad we did last year and i was like gaga over that that's why i want to do the the spooky season ones because i want to pick some like really cool movies we haven't seen exactly 
But with this list, we're watching movies that we avoided for years. And now we feel like we kind of have to watch them just to fill in the gaps of our film knowledge. And as a result, we keep looking at the next movie and we're like, okay, War of the Worlds. All right. Okay. Well, a lot of the movies that you put on the list were ones that you felt like you should watch or like you have to watch. Whereas a lot of the ones that I put on the list were like, Oh, I've always wanted to watch that, but I haven't got around to it. Like His Girl Friday and Some Like It Hot. Yeah. Like those kinds of movies, it's like, oh, I was going to watch it, but I just never did. Like All the President's Men, I watched about half of it, really liked it, never finished it. So now we're going to watch it for the podcast. I'm really excited about that. So. Yeah, there's just, there's some... That Like, The Searchers, we're going to talk about that today. I don't even remember why I put it on the list. It was probably on the AFI list. Yeah, well, I think I just, like, heard the name, and I was like, oh, that's a famous movie, right? Never seen it? Put it on. And, uh, well, we'll get to our reactions well, to that later. I, I think it was good that we watched it. I think there's a lot of good film history moments from it. And I think on some lists it's considered, like, one of the best westerns of all time, which I could definitely challenge that i yeah i do have that <laughs> written down okay. i don't regret watching it i don't regret I reg- watching it it's i regret watching war of the worlds yes <laughs> and i warned you i was like i don't think i'm gonna like this or enjoy this and we kind of put off watching it a bit and then we, neither of us liked it <laughs> yeah well it comes back to this topic that we've talked about a couple times which is like explore what the person you like likes okay you know what i'm saying like you are very inspired by wes anderson and so you you went after some movies that hello pause for bird chipmunk. yeah there's a chipmunk it's some kind yeah. of wildlife creature uh that's not quite the same as the dragonfly that just landed on your knee but hey it's the nature podcast mm-hmm. where was i going wes anderson so yes you went after some movies that wes anderson liked because you're like some. Because <laughs> if you're like, if Wes Anderson likes them and I like Wes Anderson, then I might like them. And yeah. War of the Worlds was one of those for James Rolfe, as he's he's into those old monster movies and some alien of them have invader been movies. And, well, okay, we'll we'll get to War of the Worlds proper in a few minutes. Yeah. But uh, what a gorgeous view that none of our audio view. listeners can see right now. Maybe we'll post a picture on our on our Instagram page, which we do have, by the way. Haven't been promoting it a ton, but no. I started an Instagram page for the podcast so I could stop posting reels on my own page and start filling my own page with content from mm-hmm. my upcoming movie. Ugh, it feels so gross saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it is but, what it is. Yeah, I mean, you got to self-promote. Um, My movie that's coming <laughs> out. Okay. Anyway. But uh, so issue number three on the list. Uh, we got in trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, in the last podcast episode, we talked about how we had a little portable uh, fire pit on our balcony. And it was safe. It, I had a cup of water right next to it. I was trying to be very careful. We weren't moving a ton. And uh, one of our neighbors <laughs> took some secret video of us on uh, on our balcony and sent it to, like, I don't know, whoever owned, like, the, build, the president of the building association Something or whatever. Something like that, yeah. Who sent it to our landlord, who sent it to us. And, uh, you know, I, I get it. Um, you know, there's been some fires in our neighborhood recently that totally understand. I would have maybe preferred if they had just kind of called over to us and said, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. And I'd be like, you know what? You're right. I was uh, pressing my luck here. But I hear you. We'll go. We'll put yeah. it out and go inside. Instead of like going over our heads. 
Well, it's like two days yeah. later, and it's like there was secret, like because I saw the video. He attached it. Yeah, you see the video of us recorded from a secret vantage point of us doing our podcast. We were being kind of loud. I'll, I'll, I'll be fair in that. Sure. So, but it's like, you know, we're on our balcony. We're entitled to talk on our balcony. I guess, but so. you know, not. I, I won't say it was a smart decision. We won't do it again. Yeah. It's it, you know, I don't hold too much ill will towards that person but also like hey just kind of wave to us and yeah it was more like that they like told on us to our dad kind of thing it was a speedboat going by i see it's been so quiet while we've been here i think this is hello these are the first people that we've seen while we're here they're not waving back they're rude that's okay we'll create our own they're probably like I don't know, like a hundred feet away at least. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm so such a brash personality. I'm surprised they can't see me from here. Yeah. So, let's get into it proper, shall we? Yeah. We watch War of the Worlds from 1953, which is a movie that. Well, they're getting closer now. Okay, now I'll wave. Hello. Oh, their backs are turned. Okay, now I feel lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the logline for War of the Worlds is, I'm sure I don't need to say it, it's a pretty famous movie, but a small town in California is attacked by Martians, beginning a worldwide invasion. An hour and 25 minutes, rated G for Gene. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you found that funny. (laughs) So this was actually, we haven't done too many color films yet, and as as we were watching this, we were having a debate between the two of us as to whether it was, in fact, a color movie or if we accidentally watched a colorized version. And you were pretty convinced that it was colorized, and I was pretty convinced that it was filmed in color. Well, it didn't, like, it didn't advertise. Usually back then it'd be like, filmed in Technicolor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, well, but what, we weren't watching the advertising, though. No, but, like, usually in the beginning, like, one of the opening title cards would be like, well, it did, to present it, it did a fake out, though, because the first few minutes were in black and white. And then, what? like, yeah, the first few minutes, like, the newsreel part was black and white. Oh, and yeah, And it wasn't yeah. until, I think, they did the opening credits. Well, I that... guess it was to emulate old newsreels. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your official stance? Do you still think that it was colorized, or do you think that it was filmed in color? I'm going to say that I think it was filmed in color, but... When we downloaded it, it didn't say, like, in the description, colorized version. So you think it was filmed in color? Or you think it was filmed in black and white and then colorized? Colorized, but it didn't specify. Okay. That is, in fact, not the case. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the Wikipedia page outright says it starts out in black and white and then turns color. And by the time I was pretty sure it was filmed in color was when we started seeing the aliens and how their eyes were red, green, and blue. Intentionally, uh, I yeah. Think, yeah. I was like, that seems like way too big of a liberty to be taking if this was a movie that was filmed in black and white and then colorized later. Well, my thought was they were filming it in black and white with the intention to color grade it. That's dumb. I don't know. That's the <laughs> why kind not of just, thing they would have done in the Why 50s. not just film it in color at that point? I don't. I don't know how expensive color film was versus black and white back then. Oh, I'm sure the whole movie was expensive. Well, yeah. Okay. Well. It was um, it was boring. Very boring. I don't know. There was a couple like standout moments, but it was pretty sparse, honestly. Yeah. So one of my favorite standout moments, like 
like the top like bring three, it home three four we're listening <laughs> to start when they first see the alien it reminded me kind of of a steven spielberg movie which i didn't even realize until i looked at the wikipedia page is that there is a version of war of the worlds that he directed point the mic towards your mouth a little bit more thank you very much okay yes so yeah that's the tom cruise one oh Wait, I thought that was Independence Day. Uh, Tom Cruise is not an Independence Day. You're thinking of Will Smith. I don't know. I've never seen either one of those. But like, it felt very like like a lot of shared DNA, sci-fi elements. Yeah. Well, he also did Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That, that's what I felt like. It, and yeah. E.T. Yeah. I I thought that Close Encounters was better though than this. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Close Encounters isn't even that great. No, 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 no. Well, it's a, it's okay. It's um, fine. Richard Dreyfuss carries it better. Than, oh, definitely. That that was one of the main things. I wasn't I wasn't entertained by the actors, no. the main actors in this film. It felt like the female lead was giving it a thousand percent, and then the male lead really didn't start giving a crap until like two thirds of the way through. Well, and the thing is, there was only one like speaking female character. And they didn't give her, like, a ton of screen time. Her Basically, her only screen time was in relation to the male lead. Well, this is the early 50s. I'm not sure what you were expecting. But, like, His Girl <laughs> Friday came out, like, 10 years prior. Yeah, but that's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what we watched here. That's what one of my complaints is, is, like, clearly she was a smart woman. She said that she had originally met him... Well, she did her thesis for her master's degree, and she's right. like a professor at a university. So, like, she's clearly very well, intelligent. I missed all that. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they didn't really give her much to go off of. And uh, so, one of my top moments was when we first see the alien like poke its head up. Yeah. And then later on, we see like burn imprints of the three men that were there. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. I feel and, like when the alien first poked its head up, the the camera did some kind of really interesting like dolly forward. Mm-hmm, yeah. And we both said It's very Steven Spielberg. We were we were both like, that's a really nice shot. Yeah. Like you know, in twenty twenty three, that shot's nothing out of the ordinary. But for some reason mm-hmm. in the nineteen fifties, nineteen fifty three, that's a really nice looking shot for that time. I think because the name of the game, even still to this point, for the norm of cinema was let's shoot it more on the wide let's shoot it cowboy like more wide static shots like it's a theater production so to see like a really interesting insert shot when that wasn't done as much back then if you saw an insert of anything it would be like a newspaper or like something boring that they would stay on the screen for a couple seconds yeah (laughs) i mean there's definitely outliers from good movies (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the norm was kind of like, you know, more of a theater-esque production. So that's why it stood out to us because it was like, okay, here's something that's actually like interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. So that shot was cool. Of, like the, they're like, oh, it looks like a sewer or something. I don't know. They said it looks like something, and they're like, that doesn't move. And it like, uh, yeah, they were like, it's a bomb, and he's like, a bomb doesn't unscrew. Yes, yeah, something like that. <laughs> And then there was a scene later in the film where the female protagonist's uncle that was like a priest was like, all right, I'm going to walk out with my Bible and like 
try to like talk to the aliens or something and he like walks out and then they start like shooting at him and it like he vaporizes and then she like gets all hysterical and stuff that was a pretty good sequence yeah i thought there was a lot like it felt like there's something at stake there it was very like dramatic and everything well Uh, done i would agree with you that there were some moments of brilliance i think briefly we should talk about our sound experience watching this film (laughs) so let me let me give some context here yeah so we're at a cottage the same cottage where last year we watched we watched the birds and we also watched like Monster Squad, some of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Mm-hmm. And our uh, our watching experience last year was less than stellar. There was a small TV with a scratch on it, no real speakers to speak of. Haha, <laughs> good I, joke, Andrew. I think um, that <laughs> I think the we watched the birds on the crappy TV, but then for some of the other movies, we watched it on like a 4K monitor. Oh yeah, I brought the monitor, but still the speakers weren't really any, yeah anything to speak of. Haha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, this year we brought a TV, uh, a bigger like 40-ish inch TV, and an audio receiver and some speakers. But I didn't really... Um, you touching my toes? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> trying to throw off my concentration during my big moment on the podcast? How dare this is you? your big moment. Yeah. So we brought an audio receiver and some speakers, but I guess I didn't really think it through because what I brought was the two front-facing speakers from, I guess, a surround sound setup. The other speakers are lost or, like, they have a proprietary connector which is chewed off. So we just had these front two speakers. And it didn't really work properly. Because it was, like, in a surround sound setup, you would be hearing stuff out of the front-facing speakers. Mm-hmm. That was only what was supposed to come out of the front-facing speakers. And all the rest of it was missing. Now, that said, we also had the TV speakers turned on to fill in the other gaps. And so anytime there was something out of the front speakers, it sounded really crisp and beautiful and intentionally loud. And then Mm -hmm. everything else was through the TV speaker and it sounded like crap. That's true. But, I mean, very fair statement. That was our fault. I'm taking full responsibility for that. But what it led to was anytime the aliens used their heat ray... That mm-hmm. came out of the front-facing speakers, and that was super loud in a good way. Yeah. Well, you know what it reminded me of, and it might have reminded Kubrick of it, too, is when he went to do 2001 Space Odyssey, and they're, like, searching for this alien-type thing, and there's, like, a high-pitched sound that's supposed to be, like, very ear-piercing. Yeah. Reminded me of that, where, it, like, the sound mixing of it is, like, normal, 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 and that's like, ah! you know to really jar the audience i think i've talked about that on the podcast before is like if you see 2001 in a home theater experience the sound mixing of that moment does not compare or at least in in my experiences has not compared to when i saw the same movie in a theater i think Mm -hmm. i saw it in imax maybe that's pretty sick where they played that scene and that high-pitched sound that makes all the rest of the characters in the movie freak out i couldn't believe how loud they played it in the theater i was like is this not illegal to play something this loud like it's so loud well that's you know one of the great impacts of cinema i mean it's annoying obviously but like it's supposed to make you feel something and it definitely accomplished (laughs) yeah it was purposeful yeah and by the way just a quick tip uh to all our audience listeners listeners out there do not brush your teeth and then immediately drink a Caesar. Ugh. Doesn't go well together. Mm-mm. It's just I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it. How's your cider going? It's you know, delicious. No, no boats on Sunday. It's delicious. <laughs> Great to hear. Yeah. So that leads me into my first piece of trivia. So 
The sound effects of the Martian war machine's heat ray were created from three electric guitars played backwards. The sound mm. of the Martians screaming after Forrester hit it with was a mixture of a microphone scraping along dry ice and a woman's scream played backward. The former set of sound effects became widely used stock sound effects after the film was released. They are still in use. So that makes me kind of sad that we didn't watch it with proper speakers. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, the sounds that were coming out of the proper surround sound speakers sounded really nice and crisp and like it came from a movie that was put out today. Sure. And I really appreciated that. And in general, the movie looked pretty good. I mean, for podcast movies, we've gotten used to watching black and white movies. So I think Gone with the Wind was maybe the only one we've watched so far that's been in color. Maybe a couple of others. Yeah. But that was nice to see a color movie. Color movie. And I think most of them are going to be color going forward. We're going to watch Plan 9 from Outer Space. And I think it was in black and white, but I can only find a color version. So. Tis what tis, I suppose. But so the sound was good. The visuals were good. But the story was and the characters was just like. Who cares? Yeah. Well, the book, the source material, was written in 1897, yeah. and it shows. Because yeah. <laughs> no. it just didn't feel, I don't know. But they did update it, so I'm curious as to what was updated. Well, apparently I, the original took place in the Victorian era. That's what I was going to say, and that it took place in London. Yeah. About two brothers. Two so, brothers. So they inserted sort of a romance that didn't really need to be there. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Well, well, I may as well jump into my next piece of trivia. Andy's Trivia Corner. Cool. (laughs) Filming was halted briefly two days into filming when Paramount discovered that its filming rights of the novel were only for a silent version. It was quickly resolved through the kind permission of H.G. Wells' estate. Well, that's good that it worked for that. And speaking of Wells, I don't know why. Well, I do know why, but I assumed that Orson Wells was a part of this production somehow. But mm-hmm. that turned out not to be the case because no. he's obviously famous for doing the radio version. Yes, and in freaking out 1938, people. yeah. Yeah, freaking people out thinking that it was a real broadcast. But I guess I thought that he was somehow involved here and I was kind of disappointed not to see him. Yeah, that's true. I mean, well, well Wells is spelled differently. Well, yeah, I was so. just I was using it as a jumping off sure, point. Sure, Thank sure. you very much. Mm-hmm. But the point is, like, there wasn't... I didn't feel like there was really any star power anchoring this. No, none. You know? Which is part of why the characters were so bland i think if you had like a star vehicle pushing it you would have a lot of the personality of the star such as john wayne where it's kind of like it's a john wayne picture you know like it's you know there's nothing i understand what you're saying there pilgrim yeah thank you very much yeah (laughs) well we'll get to john wayne in a moment yeah so overall not impressed. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll get to my last piece of trivia here. As an homage to Orson Welles and his famous War of the Worlds radio broadcast, on Sunday evening, October 30th, 1938, Special Voices Paul Fries appears on screen as a radio reporter around one hour, two minutes, and 45 seconds, if you are looking at the time code, and does his famous Orson Welles vocal impersonation. So at least they were kind of tipping their hat to him in a nice way. Was it the part where he's like, I... The radio broadcast is down, but I'm saving this for, like, future history, if there is a future. I would assume so, yeah. That part was good. Yeah. there Again, there were a couple good moments. But the elephant in the room, for me, is the ending. Uh, yeah, I was, was going to talk about it. Which was complete trash. 
It like, was like one of the worst endings ever. It, if you've if you've ever heard the expression Deus Ex Machina, yep. I don't think there's any better example of that than this. Well, it's just I don't know how the original book ends, but like it's like one of those they talk about in writing where it's like you shouldn't write something where it's like if the characters did nothing, then nothing would have changed. Yeah. And it was that. We basically just were along the ride for the characters, and then something happened to them, and then it ended. It was like, that's, great, I basically shouldn't have watched this whole thing. That's how I feel about Blade Runner. That Pretty much. Nothing Deckard had done would have mattered. Or, like, it didn't matter. No. Because he was going after replicants that were in search of a way to stop themselves from dying. And in the process, they all died. Right. So if Deckard had done nothing... Nothing would have been different. They would have all died anyway. Well, you can maybe argue, what's her name, Rachel? Mm-hmm. He, like, saved her from dying. She's, like, maybe a replicant. Well, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Because we're talking about War of the Worlds. But as long as we're talking about movies that eventually uh, involved aliens and Harrison Ford pictures and <laughs> the concept of the character's actions not having any effect on the plot, I want to get on a soapbox real quick. There is a rumor, dirty rumor floating around that Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of those movies where if Indiana Jones hadn't intervened, nothing would have been different because the okay. Nazis would have found they died the Nazis anyway. would have found the Ark and died anyway. But here's the thing. Marion would have died too. Yeah, cuz they they were going to kill her to get the medallion. Yeah. He was there at the right time to stop them from e- doing that. Exactly. And he was there to transport the Ark to the American government. So, I I hate that people are talking about this right now. That, oh, if Indiana Jones hadn't done anything, the movie would have turned out the same way. I mean, the Nazis would have died, yes, but... Yeah, but then, like, presumably they were in a a Nazi-controlled area when they opened the Ark, so more Nazis would have come by and they would have gotten the Ark. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. And Marion would be dead. Marion would be dead and he wouldn't have a son. They wouldn't be able to reunite the two times that they did. I don't remember that. Uh huh. Was there another Indiana Jones movie after the first three? Mm-mm. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so um, last but not least, when it comes to War of the Worlds, I think it's time for another segment of our friend Gabe's uh, insightful insights into the insights of the human psyche. Right. And that's. Gabe's grades. Gabe's grades. How's that for an intro, Gabe? All right, off you go then. Beyond its well-designed miniatures and props, The War of the Worlds is a fairly unremarkable film. The screenplay is probably the least inspired adaptation of H.G. Wells' 1898 novel I've encountered, and it's not helped by the mediocre lead performances. Two and a half out of five. It's definitely mediocre. I think that's a great take because I do think that there were some good ideas here, and I'd really be interested yeah. to see other adaptations of this story. Like, so I, we talked about the ending, but we didn't give full context. So the ending is basically that the Martians are about to conquer the world, and they're like a few days away from victory, and they try dropping an atom bomb on the Martians, and nothing that they can do works. And then eventually the Martians just fall out of the sky and die. They're like, and oh, they... yeah, they can't, they couldn't handle the atmosphere, so they just died. So it's like, oh, okay, so nothing they did would have mattered because they would have died because of the atmosphere. Yeah, well, but that's an interesting concept. I don't hate the idea. No. But the execution was so poor. 
Absolutely. Because the way that they explain it away is basically that they were like, we prayed for a miracle and God gave us a miracle. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of dumb. Okay. You know, if you were writing a story that was more involved in faith and religion, then that would, then be that would make sense. Fair. But this is just like, it would be like if Indiana Jones, after they opened the ark, was like, well, Marion, we prayed for a miracle and God gave us a miracle. It'd be like, what? You didn't pray. That, that doesn't make any sense. There was some religious motif in the film. Oh, a little bit. A but little like bit. The, the alien invasion really had nothing to do with it. It was just sprinkled throughout. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like it was just, it was so lazy to me. Why well, I agree. And I know what some people might say is that they're, they, they analyze their blood and they find that they're anemic. So they're unable to absorb the oxygen of Earth's atmosphere or, or whatever. Sure. Whatever. It's still lazy. It is lazy. I mean, it's a it's a story. You can write a different ending. Exactly. So not impressed. Um, I'm gonna follow Gabe's lead and give it two and a half out of five stars, which is pretty it's low pretty for boring. me. But like, I just was not entertained. No. You? Again, there's like a few standout moments. There's a point where the male protagonist, yeah, I can't even commit their names to memory. Nope was running through like a fiery sort of landscape where it was like all deserted and stuff and I thought that was cool and it reminded me kind of of Tom Cruise running through Times Square so like you're gonna you're gonna have to be more can you qualify that reference for the audience please that's I mean it's pretty famous scene of like Tom Cruise running through an empty Times Square like where is everyone I think it's in Vanilla Sky but there you go you landed it congrats well I didn't want to definitively say because I've never seen Vanilla Sky well, that promotes engagement of people angrily yeah. commenting, being like, hey, no, you got this wrong. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've only seen so many Tom Cruise movies. Yeah, fair enough. Well, where are the worlds? We yeah. might have to watch We might have to put that one on. Not on this 2005, list, yeah. But, you know, maybe A at some future point. list. A maybe future our list. Speed bu- speed move <laughs> Hello? Spielberg Fest. Oh, there you go. Of some of the ones we haven't seen of his. You brought it home once again. Good yep. job. So, the other film that we watched was The Searchers. And we're back to combining two f- movies into one episode. This is what we originally did in season one. And during season two, I wanted to focus a little bit more on each individual movie and do 45-minute discussions instead of half-hour discussions. But I felt so bad about the Streetcar Named Desire episode that it just felt like we were wasting time talking about a movie that we didn't care about. So I said, you know what? The next movie that we find boring that we don't have too much to care about. We're not going to extend our thoughts to 45 minutes. We're just going to watch a second movie and combine it. And in this case, that was The Searchers. And I hate to say it, but once again, we've encountered a bit of a stinker. And I think... Both of your picks. (laughs) I think... You know, there really are no words. Okay. (laughs) I mean, what I will say is I don't love the movie The Searchers but it was a lot more watchable and it we, certainly was we watched it with your dad and we were kind of like yelling things out at the screen and like making fun of stuff uh, yeah, and it was that kind of, was more fun it was kind of like Rift Tracks like Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind yeah, of thing exactly which yes it was fun and it was entertaining let's give the audience some context so The Searchers is from 1956 I believe yep. the screenshot mm-hmm. that I took of the logline does not include the year, so my apologies. It's 56. And the logline is, an American Civil War veteran embarks on a years-long journey to rescue his niece from the Comanches, or Comanches, 
I don't know how to they say said that. Comanches. They said it both ways. Right. After the rest of his brother's family is massacred in a raid on their Texas farm. Okay. This is one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I acknowledge also based on a book. I acknowledge I'm being completely hyperbolic when I say this. Yes. I am being hyperbolic. Sure. But man was it dumb. It just felt like macho blowhard bull crap. It's for definitely a lot of it. like white conservative propaganda because he was um he was a Confederate soldier. Right. And they're like anti-Yankee and stuff. Now I'll qualify. I did not hate everything about this. Certainly not. And in fact, it was there was a lot to like about it, I would say. But as we'll get into it, I think with some tweaks, it could have been a lot better. But there sure. was some stuff about it that just majorly turned me off and that I didn't like. Obviously, the main one being John Wayne. And we'll we'll talk about him and his character. I've heard he's very racist, but I didn't bother looking that up. But his character from the movie was enough to support that that thought. Yeah. Well, it's we're embarking in a whole genre that is kind of lost the time of cowboys and quote unquote Indians, Indians. <laughs> Obviously, that's not what they're called, but the kind of that genre of like the cowboys are the good guys it, yeah. and the indigenous people are the bad guys and they have to stop them and stuff like that. It so. was pretty uncomfortable for yeah. a lot of it. And what made this such a confusing experience is that not a ton of people seem to agree with this take. If we look at the Wikipedia okay. page, <clears throat> the film was a co- critical and commercial success since its release. It has come to be considered a masterpiece and one of the greatest and most influential films ever made. It was named the Greatest American Western by the American Film Institute in 2008, mm-hmm. and it placed 12th on the same organization's 2007 list of the 100, 100, of the 100, 100 greatest American movies of all time. Entertainment Weekly also named it the Best Western. Um, I'm pretty sure Best Western is a hotel, so somebody might want to tell Entertainment Weekly because they seem misinformed. Yeah, where's my free cookie? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Some hotels give out free cookies. In okay. The, lobby. <laughs> <laughs> the British Film Institute Sight and Sound magazine ranked it as the seventh best film of all time. Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard of these Sight and Sound awards. Yeah, Gabe. Yeah. Gabe mentioned it when when he was on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on a 2012 international survey of film critics, and in 2008, the French magazine Cahier du Cinéma ranked The Searchers number ten in their list of the 100 best films ever made. In 1989, The Searchers was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the United States Library of Congress and selected for preservation in its National Film Registry. It was one of the first 25 films selected for the registry. Um, are you kidding me? I don't think I could disagree with the statement more. There was some really, really nice shots that I feel were definitely in influential influential to future filmmakers shots sure really nice yeah but (laughs) the story not that good john wayne fine i could understand why john wayne became an american icon he has a very specific look a very specific way of talking very specific He, he portrays a very specific character so i understand why that happened but i don't think it really i don't think it holds up to a 2023 lens that's all i can say you know, well, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of, like, sort of the Sylvester Stallone of his time. Like, oh, very, dis- very distinctive, very distinctive voice, very distinctive way of going about things. Whenever you watch one of their movies, you 
kind of know what kind of character you're going to get from them. It's not going to be all that different. It's like, you know, you're watching that person's movie. Fair enough. Yeah. So this was, I believe, our first, well, it was my first John Wayne movie. My first as well. You said you'd seen him in an episode of The Lucy Show. Yeah. Whereas she's like, it's kind of a thing in The Lucy Show that she lives in Hollywood. So there's a lot of like celebrity cameo episodes where it's like Lucy meets John Wayne. And stuff like that. So Yeah, fair enough. But it was my first experience with him. And I can definitely, you know, it, it fills in some gaps in, uh, you know, cultural. I don't know what the word is, but like retroactively, I'm able to recognize everyone who has done a John Wayne impression. Yeah. Like uh, pretty distinctive. Kurt, Kurt Russell and Death Proof. You're all right in my book. Like, yeah, it's very clearly John Wayne. Yeah, definitely. But his character was just so despicable uh, <laughs> and he's supposed to be the hero well that this is the thing is when i was reading up about this it seemed like a lot of maybe like searchers apologists mm. were, were putting out the idea that like oh you know john wayne is clearly like the crazed uh you know like he's out of his mind with with revenge and he's he's clearly in the wrong he's clearly the villain because he's taking it too far and i'm like no, that is actually not clear at all. I think you're looking at it in a particular lens to try and defend it, but I think the movie certainly puts forth the idea that he's the hero and he's the good guy and he's out for yeah. justice. Well, I'd say Marty is definitely the good guy in my books because he's like, no, I want to get my sister back even if she isn't blood. Like You're wanna... the good guy in my books. Yeah, like... <laughs> You know, that Marty is the hero, I think. And, you know, obviously he has his flaws, but he's like, no, like just because she was kidnapped by them doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve to come back and stuff like that. And like John Wayne was like, nah, (laughs) we searched for her for like five years. But now that I know that she's like sort of a part of them, even if it might be Stockholm syndrome or whatever, I'm just not going to take her back (laughs) well not only is he not going to rescue her but he is ready to kill her dead on the spot after searching for her for five years that was the point where the movie completely lost me well she was like what kidnapped when she was nine what is she supposed to do yeah it's like yeah of course like like the people she's been living with for like the formative years of her life she's gonna like decide to go along with them you know what else does she have left she doesn't have any family yeah so my problem with this movie is it seemed like it was trying to be everything at once. Yeah. It was trying to be an action movie. It was trying to be a drama. It was trying to be a comedy. It was trying to tick all these boxes mm-hmm. at just what seemed like the completely wrong times. I feel like the moments that we laughed at were maybe not supposed to be comedic moments. Well, I couldn't tell. I it's honestly tell. couldn't tell. So basically, yeah. to give you a quick rundown of the plot... These these uh, this family gets attacked um, by, you know, a, a tribe of what they call. What do they call them? I can't even remember. Shit. What? Shit. What, what was it? With the Comanche Comanches. Yeah. Which is like, OK, I don't even know if I'm ready to unpack that. But they, they get attacked and, and two of the girls get abducted. One of them gets killed. And then John Wayne and, and his buddy. Well, not really his buddy, but you, you get what I mean. They spend five years searching for for this kidnapped girl. She's the she's the adopted sister of Marty. Yeah, and and the niece of John Wayne. So then finally they find her after five years, 
and they go to rescue her and she's like, no, I'm just, you know, go away. Uh, let's not have any trouble here. No violence. I just want to stay with them. And John Wayne's like, okay, well, I'll just kill you then. And Marty's like, what are you doing? Just no, 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 no. And then they end up splitting. They leave. Well, she's probably also saying that because she wanted them to leave. because She didn't want them to get killed. Exactly. Yeah. It, that, that made enough sense. But John Wayne suddenly being like, okay, well, I'll just kill you then. I just found so dumb. Yeah. And then. So they go back to, uh, you know, the Marty's hometown or whatever, where, where this whole shebang started. And then they come back and Marty's, you know, sweetheart is about to get married to another man. And they crash the wedding. And the Marty and the other guy, Charlie, I think his name was, end up coming to blows outside, <laughs> of, outside of the building. And I turned to Hannah and I was like, is this really what this movie's about now? Yeah, this, this is a different plot. This is something it was else. Called the Searchers, and yeah. it's like, okay, well, we found her. So what now? <laughs> yeah, and then so they had this like ridiculous fist fight, which is honestly one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And they topple over each other, and they're coming to blows, and then all of a sudden they <laughs> stop, and one of them holds up, uh, and he goes, "Somebody's fiddle." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, stop the fight. We're about to crush somebody's fiddle. Somebody take this fiddle away and make sure it's protected. I was like, what am I watching? This is on the AFI like yeah. top 10 movies of all time. This is stupid. Yeah. But like stupid and like it's kind of funny though. It was kind but of I funny. But top 10 movies yeah. of all time? Are you joking? I mean, I don't hear anyone talking about the searchers. No. So whoever it's the top 10 list of is. Maybe old or I think that's just not what it is. I think the these zeitgeist. are I think these are people who saw these movies, saw this movie in their youth when it was more culturally appropriate, and it made an impact on them because it was the coolest thing that they had seen at the time. Yeah. And now it's the equivalent to like, I don't want to say a Fast and the Furious movie, but like, I don't think it's a very smart movie. No. You know, it, there was just like same with War of the Worlds. There was just like a lot of scenes depicting extended periods of violence and just like and for what Im- imagery like that nothing really supporting the story no, no characters that i could really really get behind for sure um <sighs> like violence can maybe have its place in movies oh, sure. if it feels like it's moving the plot forward or justified in the character absolutely but like so I don't know. i'll get into some pieces of trivia here and this this is where i feel like some things could have been changed uh, to make the movie a, a little bit better. So I'll, I'll start out. Well, you know what? I'll start out with the least piece of interesting trivia. So <laughs> considering the part of Ethan Edwards to be the best character that he ever portrayed on screen and okay. the searchers to be his favorite film role, John Wayne named his youngest son, Ethan in homage. Oh my God. That is some incredible, like self aggrandizing. If that is in fact the right word behavior, like, wow, that is just, Man, I was great in that movie. I'm going to name my son after myself in a movie. Yeah. Ridiculous. And if this is his best, that's not saying much. Yeah. Because he didn't have that much of a range. One thing that we were kind of picking at as we were watching it, and it's something that older movies did, and maybe it's because of the Hayes Code, was that Ethan found... Lucy the oh, other yeah. girl ad- abducted yeah like in a cave and well the the fiance or whatever the beau was like oh like I saw her I saw her and 
John Wayne was like, oh, no, you just saw, like, an indigenous person wearing the dress because I saw her dead and I covered her with my coat and I had to bury her. And it's like, yeah, and then you're I turned telling to Hannah and I was like, this, yeah. this happened off camera? All of this. You kidding me? Like, it could have been two whole scenes. What could have been the most emotional and impactful part of the movie happened off camera. Yeah, so part of it makes me think is like either they were lazy with the budget and the writing or they physically couldn't because censorship, like they weren't allowed to show a dead body. But like they showed other like acts of violence in the movie, yeah. so I, I have no idea. I just didn't like it. Yeah. That's all I have to say. That that was our gripe with Gone with the Wind. What would have probably been the most interesting part of the movie was Scarlet and um, what's his face dealing with the aftermath of their daughter being dead yeah. was just described by their maid yeah for it's sure. like come on <laughs> so so there was that another problem that i had with it was arguably one of the most important parts of the movie is spoiled up front because it's called the searchers yeah and they're searching for this woman who got abducted and you watch the movie and they list natalie wood as like a headlining you know player in for the sure. in the film you know top build natalie wood and if you know who Natalie Wood is, then you'll recognize her face. Mm-hmm. She and was in Rebel Without a Cause the year before, so you know that she's, yeah. you and, know, a young woman. And she was in uh, Miracle on 34th Street, the original one. In in As a child in as the a 30s. Child. So people knew knew who she was. She was a star. Yeah. You, she would have a recognizable face. Yeah. And as such, you make it more than halfway through the movie, and Natalie Wood hasn't shown up yet. And they've progressed five years. And so at this point, you're kind of like... Well, I guess they're going to find her because obviously she's going to be Natalie Wood. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no secret anymore. There's it, no stakes. Yeah. And Debbie in the beginning is dressed kind of like how Natalie Wood was back in the day with like the the braids and stuff. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. But like that took so much of the of the, you know, uh, yeah. stakes out of it. For sure. Even to the point where like at the point when Natalie Wood re- was revealed her character stands up and her back is turned to the camera and she starts to walk over towards uh, where the main action is. And my dad goes, you're about to see Natalie Wood. And I was like, you don't know that. And then the camera panned over to her and it was Natalie Wood. And I was like, well, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it, you know, it definitely and, well, let me it. Let me qualify that by saying my dad had not seen this movie already. Yeah, he was just assuming. Yeah. Well, it was also like, we knew there was sort of an action sequence at the beginning where it was like maybe the first like six months a year whatever they were trying to find them i was like well we haven't seen natalie wood yet so i guess it takes them multiple years because she's a young woman exactly (laughs) it just gave too much away just by that decision i mean but like what could you have done though because it's like she's obviously a star and she obviously deserves top billing and credit for her work but does she deserve top billing because let's move to our second okay, piece of trivia enough. here. Natalie Wood does not appear until one hour and yeah. 21 minutes into this two-hour film. Mm-hmm. She has less than 10 minutes of screen time. She probably got paid a lot, though. Unbelievable. Like, if she's not even going to have 10 minutes of screen time, just don't credit her up front at the beginning know. of the film. Because you're just giving giving the whole movie away. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the deal was back then, especially because it's one of those movies where the credits are first instead of last. Yeah. I don't 
think they really made the switch to like full end credits for a while, like the full switch. Right. I mean, Citizen Kane, I think it had, did it have opening credits? It definitely had closing credits. I can't remember. Yeah. But anyway, what was nice about watching this movie was seeing the slow progression towards the modern look of a film. For sure. And what what I didn't even realize about this film right away until 10 minutes in, legitimately 10 minutes in, was that it was widescreen. Yeah. I think this was our first widescreen movie on this list. I think so, because War of the Worlds was color, but it was Academy Ratio 4 by 3. Yeah. And I honestly... I'm not sure if I noticed right away either. But well, the- they hit it. They they did a bait and switch because oh, that's true. Because the first yeah. the first shot in the movie is looking through a uh, like a doorway. Yeah, that was a really beautiful and shot. Yeah, definitely a very famous shot. And the the um, everything that's close to you on the inside of the doorway is black, and you only see what's exposed outside of the doorway. And they do a dolly forward, you know, and push through the doorway. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point where it would be kind of revealed to the audience, like, oh, oh, we're seeing it, and then oh, the oh, it's going past, screen. it's going past yeah. the four by three ratio, and it goes into the widescreen. So they kind of they they inched into it. They definitely use it effectively. The director of this, John Ford, he is known for like landscape shots, wide shots, cinema, sim- cinematic shots, and shooting on location. Mm-hmm. Did he? I want to say he did Treasure of the Sierra Madre, but no, I don't, I don't think, think he did. So. But it was definitely used effectively because there was a lot of really beautiful shots of them in the desert with the horses and like the way that it was framed and all that kind of stuff was really nice. Right. But the story definitely diminishes all that. Well, so speaking of the story, let's go into my third piece of trivia, which is one of the things that I think if they had leaned more into. I I don't think it would have saved the movie, but it would have made me like it a lot more. So, according to John Wayne, in a 1974 interview, John Ford hinted throughout the movie that Ethan had had an affair with his brother's wife and was possibly the father of Debbie. This meant Ethan's thirst for vengeance stemmed not from the murder of his brother, but of the woman Ethan had loved. This was so subtle that many viewers at the time missed it altogether, and thus he would be going after the daughter that he abandoned essentially which would give him a lot better motivation for the entire film it should have made it a lot more clear yeah like it was uh, just like a niece that he hadn't seen in like multiple years because he was in the war yeah i think if there were hints towards that i really didn't pick up on very many of them other Mm -hmm. than like maybe a slight warmness between him and 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 his uh sister-in-law more than the average i would say but this that being a little more overt with this would have made a, a whole lot more sense. And another piece of trivia that I read, but I won't regurgitate word for word, is that there's a shot of uh, John Wayne and his brother's mother's tombstone that says that she was killed by a Comanche of, you know. They should have the mentioned right that to too. But that's like Reason a blink why he and you miss it kind of moment. But yeah, yeah, that would have added so much more to his character. That was just like ostensibly a background element. Well, and it was like, you could understand after they were murdered why he's against, like, the indigenous people of that era, area, but it felt like he was already against them to begin with. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was like, for what? And it's like, okay, well, for if, that, we, but... if we knew that, like, his mother, or did you say mother, was killed 
yeah, yeah. by a Comanche, then it's like, okay, well, that gives motivation as to why he has it over them. Yeah. So I think leaning into that, excuse me, audience, as I tap on my microphone, that would have <laughs> that would have lent a lot more. I don't think it would have fixed the movie. No. Because of that stupid wedding scene late in it that just totally distracts from everything. Well, it was and also like it draws them back in because the the soldier just comes by and he's like, you got to go out and, you know, deal yeah, with them. And it was like, okay, well, just they were just there. Yeah. yeah. Um. But then again, the main thing is just the fact that he was like, oh, my my niece and possibly daughter isn't going to come back with me. Well, I'll just kill her then. And that's even doubly stupid because because he had the same opportunity to do so at the very, very end of the movie. And he didn't. At that point, he was like, well, all right, I'll take you home then. It's like, well, nothing, nothing motivated. Yeah, nothing changed that decision. And it was just, it was just dumb. Like she was running away from him, and we're like, "Oh no, he's gonna like catch up to her, and he's gonna kill her." And like it was a surprise that he didn't. And it was like, "But where was the churn?" Like, yeah, this was just like I don't think this movie was as well thought out as maybe people at the time thought it was. And I'm just I think I wasn't they just impressed. thought it was cool. I think they just thought it was cool. Cowboys and like the shots look nice yeah. and sure. If you want to weigh in about this movie, if you have other opinions and you think that it's a masterpiece and it it deserves its place as one of the top ten movies of all time, please weigh in. Send a comment, send a direct message or whatever, or even come on the podcast. I'll have you on the podcast and you can defend it. Which I'm going to do with Blade Runner at some point, I think. I'm going to have some kind of Blade Runner apologist come on. Because that's another really highly rated movie that I really despise. It's... Despite I got into Blade Runner wanting to love it multiple times. Yeah, because it's I... Harrison Ford in a sci-fi movie. And Ridley Scott. I like Ridley Scott yeah. a lot. I, but I... Anyway, we'll get to that when we get to yeah. it. But I'm going to give The Searchers a 6 out of 10. At least and, it was watchable. And by that, I mean a 3 out of 5. It was definitely watchable. It was more entertaining than War of the Worlds, but... I definitely have my gripes to pick with it. Pick those gripes, Hannah. Pick them. But, like, War of the Worlds just didn't have much going for it, so, like, it just wasn't that fun. But, like, at least with the searchers, it's divisive enough where it's, like, some people think it's the best, some people don't like it. At least, like, it has something to say. You know? So, for that... Maybe I'll give it a seven. I don't Ugh, know. Gross. Well, it is what it is. Yeah. And I, I like the Marty character. I thought maybe, I don't know, he had like maybe a crush on Debbie or I don't know. Maybe it was just like platonic family. Who knows? Like, you know, he wanted to search after her or whatever. Sure. Probably. But, but I mean, I felt like most of the actors other than John Wayne were overacting. But that can be a good thing. I mean, I've seen worse. Yeah. Like, there's definitely overacting a lot more common back then. Like, Rebel Without a Cause, there's some really big moments in there that could have been toned down a lot. So, right. Well, anyway, I think that about wraps it up. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, we should be doing Plan 9 from Outer Space, unless we find a more uh, culturally significant and exciting movie that comes between. Uh, the searchers and plan nine from outer space, but look out for that. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, I really do appreciate it, which is why I said it twice. And thanks to game chops, DJ Cutman, and coffee date for allowing people like us to use this music, uh, for our theme song. Really appreciate it. And, uh, excited to put it in more episodes. Absolutely. All right. We'll, uh, toss an episode at you next time. We'll see you later. Thanks so much, much for, for listening. listening. <laughs>